Red Rocks Church, how we doing, guys? Oh, come on, who's excited to be in church tonight? Let's go. Hey, welcome to Red Rocks. Uh, Like Ethan said, we are kicking off a three-week series, brand new, that we are calling Modern Jesus, and we're asking and answering the question, is Jesus still relevant, and why the heck should I follow a Jewish carpenter who was born in Palestine 2,000 years ago? Like, who is this guy? Why should he matter in my life? And if you've ever asked that question... Or if you have friends who ask that question, you are in the right place in the right time. This is a good series to come to and invite friends to because we're going we're gonna to answer all those questions. And honestly, there's not really going to be a, like a call to action or even practical takeaways. This is just going to be looking at Jesus and seeking him first before we do anything else. Because I'm just a believer that if you get your eyes on him first and put him first, everything else in your life kind of takes its divine place in line behind him. Amen? And so this book, uh, Who Is This Man? by John Ortberg. Um, A lot of what I'm saying today I got from here. And if you're looking just for a a deeper read, uh, if you like any of the stuff we're talking about and you just want to dig deeper and know more, I'm going to point you in this direction for a light to mediocre, not so light read. But you can pick it up on Amazon. This is an amazing book, and so I will point you in that direction. But today, we're just going to talk about the influence of Jesus on this planet. And here's the thesis I'm working off of right now. You, You do need faith, you guys, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You don't, however, need faith to see his impact and influence on this planet. All you need to do is look because it's absolutely everywhere. And I just want to brag on him and get our eyes on him and focus on that tonight if that's okay. And so if you're down, go to John chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 16. This is one of the final scenes and moments of the life of Jesus. Here we go. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. And so the soldiers took charge of Jesus, and carrying his own cross, he went to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side, and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross, and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And so really quick, it was custom for criminals to uh, have their names and their crimes written above them on the cross they were nailed to. And so all I'm trying to do right now in this scene is to get you to, to see how unsuccessful Jesus' ministry looks in this moment, okay? He's on a cross right now. Everybody's there to see it. Many of the Jews read this sign for the place where Jesus was crucified was right next to any, well, everybody, right near the city. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather write this man claimed to be the king of the Jews. But Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. And this garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said this to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. He said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, and so they soaked a sponge in it, and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. 
And with that, he took one final breath and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I wanna call this message, Jesus is King. If you're taking notes, Jesus is King. And I wanna pray and I wanna ask you to pray with me because the saddest thing that could happen tonight is that this just be a human thing. We need something supernatural to take place in this room. And, and Jesus is in the business of transforming lives. That's part of his influence and we're about to see that. Um, but I wanna ask you to pray with me and believe this with me because uh, guys, we're not just about to talk and converse with the creator of the universe. That's crazy enough. But, what, but what's more ridiculous than that is he's about to listen and respond to what we're gonna ask him. And so let's do it. God, we love you. Jesus, I, I pray that the, the prayer and the research and the preparation and, and these words would be like music to your ears and honor you. You are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords, the beginning and the end and everything in between. Today, we make you big in our lives and in our church and in this city. We love you. We pray this in your powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Story time. Are you ready? Okay. Guys, there's nothing quite like a piping hot slice of pepperoni pizza on a cold day. Amen. Amen. Anybody not like pizza? Security, let's just get these people out of here right now. I'm kidding, guys. This is, you need this more than anybody. I'm kidding. Relax. Guys, I uh, consider myself a bit of a pizza connoisseur. Um, however, my favorite pizza restaurant is a small pizza joint called Cosmos that's in my uh, college town of Boulder, all right? And so there we go. I, uh, I, I go to Cosmos, and it's like a spiritual experience for me, honestly. Like, it's like you, you get those, uh, they're like two-foot slices of pepperoni pizza that you have to fold in half to keep all the grease in there because you got to get all the grease and all the spicy ranch that you smothered on this pizza. I take a bite of it, and I go straight to the throne room. I take a bite of it, and I'm like, did Jesus just come back? Is this the second coming? I think it might be. Is this heaven? Is this new earth? It's that good. And what's more impressive is I still love Cosmos despite the incident. Do you want to know what the incident is? It was a January evening. It was freezing cold. This was a few, uh, few years ago. I was at Cosmos with a group of friends. Sam was there. Ethan was there. We were in a corner booth. I was in the corner of the corner booth. So I, I had no quick escape, okay? And I'm in the corner of the corner booth just minding my own business. I'm not looking for trouble, not bothering anybody. I'm just worshiping God via pizza is all I'm doing. Meanwhile, on the table in front of us is a, is a set of keys that belong to my friend Kelsey. And on the set of keys is a keychain, a pink plastic polka dot keychain that just looked like a toy, like nothing about it looked um, intimidating or dangerous. There was no sign or, or text on it that said, warning, this is pepper spray. It didn't say that. It just looked harmless, okay? But like I said, I could care less. I'm, I'm good. Like, I, I got my pizza, and I'm, I'm not worried about the keys. However, my friend Ben, who is sitting across from me, and I won't say his last name to protect him. It'll probably embarrass him. I'm sure he's watching this, like, later online, although his last name is Song, S-O-N-G, Ben Song. And his Instagram handle is at 
I am underscore Ben Song. And if you want to go follow him and harass him, you have my full blessing to do so. He's, he's the bad guy in this story, okay? I'm the hero of this story. Not really, but I am the victim. Ben Song, Ben Song, he's the bad guy of this story, okay? And so I'm eating pizza. Ben sees the, the, the keychain, the pink polka-dotted plastic keychain, and picks it up. And Ben was so curious, like George, like that curious, you know, and he, uh, he picks it up like, oh, there's a button. He holds it out like this in front of me. Oh, there's a button on this keychain. They say curiosity salted the snail. However, I say curiosity pepper sprayed Doug in the face from 18 inches away, right? Ben's got the keychain like, oh, what's this button? Psh, psh, like mace straight into my eyes from point blank range. And I have never felt like burn or a pain like this right here. I don't know if anybody in here has been maced or pepper sprayed in the eyes and in the face, but it's awful, right? It's awful. And like so potent, it filled up the entire restaurant. They had to shut down Cosmos for the rest of the night. Everybody's evacuating and running outside, right? And, and I... I, I run outside, it's blizzarding out, of course it's blizzarding, and I'm, my face, my eyes, my shoulders, my chest, everything is burning so bad, I just take my jacket and my shirt off and dive in the snow, and just roll around in the snow, because it's so painful, people are bringing me cups of ice water, and I'm just dumping it on my face, but like nothing is working, and nothing is soothing the pain, and so we went on YouTube and looked up home remedies for pepper spray burns, and there's actually a lot of YouTube videos that explain it, which begs the question, who are these people who make all of these YouTube videos in their spare time? I'm not dogging them. I'm actually very grateful for it. And in case you're taking notes and you might need this for a later time, although I pray you don't, the two best remedies to make for pepper spray burns are, um, well, you don't really make it, but you take laundry detergent and just put it all over your skin. <laughs> Okay, it kind of helps, but the best option is just to get 2% milk and pour it on yourself. You just pour 2% milk on yourself, okay? And so the rest of my night, we went straight to Sam's house. She was my girlfriend at the time, Ethan, a bunch. Everybody came over uh, just to, you know, they were my support. They really were because for hours I was up on her counter and I, I just laid on her counter with my head and my shoulders in the sink while she poured gallon after gallon of 2% milk into my eyeballs and all over my face just to try to help the pain. And eventually... Eventually, like all things do, eventually the burn and my anger faded, okay? Eventually, me and, me and Ben, uh, we talked it through. We made up. It's okay. Um, eventually, everything fades, right? Pepper spray burns, your new jeans, a new paint job, right? Even good things, like, like even influence and impact that human beings have, on this planet, everything, give it enough time, everything will fade. And so take that and transition with me. Normally, when somebody dies, their influence and impact on this planet begins to slowly fade from the moment they take their final breath. And this is true of everybody. It's true of you. It'll be true of me. It's true of every celebrity, every leader. Like who remembers, who, remember, who knows their great-great-grandma's name? in here and she's family right who knows the 22nd president of the United States he was a big deal so was the king of England during World War One anybody I hear a few murmurs but none of them are right <laughs> guys and they were a big deal 
like historical figures, right? But that's influence. That's the normal trajectory. Think of it like a wake. The longer it's been since the boat has passed, the more steady and steady the wake gets until eventually it's, it's gone. This is the normal trajectory of influence for every human being except for one. Except one. At the moment that Jesus took his final breath on the cross, we just saw the scene. We just read about it, right? It seemed like whatever small influence or impact that he made on this planet was going to be crucified with him and taken to the grave with him, right? Like how successful do kings and their kingdoms look when the king is hanging on a cross? Not very successful. Jesus did nothing to immortalize his influence. He did nothing to future-proof his legacy or defend his movement, right? Jesus never forced a soul to follow him. He never made a statue of himself. Apparently, he, he had access to legions of angels that he could have called upon at any moment, and yet he, he never did. He, on purpose, set himself up on a collision course with the most powerful empire in the world, Rome, as the ultimate underdog to be crushed. And crushed is exactly what he was. Why is it then that from the moment of his death, his influence began to do the opposite of fade? Why is it that in 2019, regardless of what you believe about Jesus or who he is or who he was, regardless of what continent you live on, his influence and his legacy are absolutely everywhere? Like from the moment of his death on, his undignified crucifixion on, 50 years after that, there's more Jesus in the world. He died 100 years after that, 500 years after that, just more Jesus, just more of his impact, more Jesus followers in the world. A thousand years after he died and his influence is the foundation that most of Europe is built on. 2,000 years later, and now there is at least 2.4 billion people on this planet right now who have been awakened to his love, his impact, and his influence, including Kanye West. Right? John Ortberg would say this, Jesus' vision of life continues to haunt and challenge humanity. His influence has swept over history like the tail of a comet, bringing his inspiration to influence art, science, government, medicine, and education. He has taught humans about dignity, compassion, forgiveness, and hope. It is in the name of Jesus that desperate people pray, grateful people worship, and angry people swear. He is the man who won't go away. So now imagine a boat passes and you see its wake, and as time goes on, the wake gets bigger and bigger and bigger. How do you explain that? What's the word for that? Supernatural is the word for that. It should not happen. His influence just is doing the opposite of fading. He is the only human being who has inverted completely, 180 this normal human influence trajectory, right? So a quick history lesson for you. When Jesus was born, um, Caesar was the emperor of Rome. The Roman Empire ruled the known world at the time, okay? 
within Rome, Herod the Great was the leader, the king of Judea. And he was, he was appointed by Rome, by the Roman Empire, as the quote-unquote king of the Jews. Caesar is quoted saying that Herod the Great is the greatest king and leader that Israel has ever had, okay? And he, like, he had leadership qualities the same way Hitler had leadership qualities. He was insane, and he was power-hungry, and he stopped at absolutely nothing to immortalize his influence and legacy. And anybody who threatened it, he just executed them, including one of his wives and most of his sons, which is why Caesar is also quoted saying that, hey, in light of the fact that Jews don't eat bacon or ham, it is better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of Herod's sons. <laughs> he, like, he, he was insane. He attached the great to the end of his name. He was ambitious. He was driven. He was power hungry. He was narcissistic. And he stopped at absolutely nothing. He stopped at nothing, which gives new meaning next month when you read the Christmas story in Matthew chapter 2 and you read about how there was this baby who was born who was called the king of the Jews and then Herod the Great freaks out. Now you have more of a, like more implications as to exactly why Mary and Joseph had to flee, right? Herod was, he was born, he was brought into this world royal and in a dignified way. And then he died in royalty and in as much dignity as he possibly could. This is so crazy, but uh, Herod the Great prearranged on the day he died to have a, a few influential Jews also executed just so he could be sure that there was mourning in Israel, right? All to, to immortalize his influence and die in dignity. Unlike Herod the Great, Jesus did not enter this world or leave this world with dignity. Born in a cave at night, placed in a feeding trough for animals, his nursery friends had fur and four legs. He was a fugitive on the run, wanted for dead from the time he was an hour old. And 32 years later, he died with less dignity than how he was born. Unlike Herod the Great, nothing about Jesus' first breath or final breath on this planet made you think the word king. And yet today, you know nothing about Herod other than what I just told you. And Jesus is absolutely everywhere that you look. Everywhere. I'll show you. Think about this. In the ancient world, leaders used to immortalize their influence by, having, by naming cities after themselves. So Alexander the Great named Alexandria. Caesar named Caesarea, right? And yet today, what do we have here that's named after Caesar? A casino and a pizza joint. <laughs> Caesar is now a salad or maybe the name of your dog. Guys, Jesus did not have a home while he was on this planet. He did not have a house, let alone name a city after himself. And yet, hey, later tonight or this week, get out a map of the United States. San Francisco is named San Francisco because a man named St. Francis followed Jesus. 
Sacramento is named Sacramento because Jesus had one last dinner with his buddies that became known as the final supper that later became called a sacrament, right? San Diego is named after St. Juan Diego who followed Jesus. Stephen F. Austin, Sam Houston, followers of Jesus. To quote John Orberg again, you cannot look at a map without being reminded of this man. And I'll take it a step further. You can't look at a calendar without being reminded of Jesus. The Gregorian calendar, the most widely used calendar, the calendar that we use, the one that's BCAD, is based on the life of Jesus. So BC stands for before Christ. Herod the Great was born in 73 B.C., 73 years before Christ. Alexander the Great's reign started in 336 B.C. And yet every leader, every dictator who's ever lived, including Alexander the Great and Herod the Great, their birthdays and reigns are measured based on a baby who was born in a cave as a fugitive. A.D. is Anno Domini. It's a Latin phrase that translates to the year of our Lord. And so every date that's marked with A.D. is measured from the time that Jesus was born. And so your birthday, Paul Rudd's birthday, your anniversary, the 4th of July, all measured based on the life of Jesus, which means every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every religion is telling time based on a Jewish carpenter who was born in Palestine 2,000 years ago. We are recording history based on the life of Jesus Christ, which gives way more meaning to verses like Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So Jesus is the beginning and the end. From A to Z, or if you prefer Greek, from the Alpha to the Omega and everything in between. The starting point of history, that's not just a place Jesus was. That's a place he is right now, outside of time. Just like he's right here right now. Just like the end of history is not a place he knows about or will be. It's a place he is right now because even the, historic, like the timeline of history that we are in is in him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You cannot tell time without Jesus. There's a, uh, there's a T-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. And I think it's funny. I, I think there's truth to it. Nothing against it. I think God likes I think he thinks it's funny. But homeboys don't divide history in half. Kings of kings do. His influence doing the opposite of fading before our very eyes. Let's talk about art. Nobody knew what Jesus looked like. There's no description of him in the Bible. And yet him and his disciples and many of his followers are the subjects of art all over the world. Paintings and sculptures all over the world, right? The torture device that Rome used to murder him is now the most recognizable symbol in the world and the most popular jewelry pendant and tattoo. Or how about education? Jesus' impact on education. Jesus said, he taught, you are to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, and your, your mind, right? 
And that, that teaching right there gave birth to a community of learning, loving Jesus followers who had so much passion for education that their, their community survived through the dark ages, persevered, and they went on to start libraries and schools, just to name a few, Oxford, Cambridge, Yale, Harvard, and laid the foundation for most of the Western education system. Or how about government? We say things like, all human beings, all men are created equal. Why do we say that? That wasn't a thing they said back then in the ancient world. That wasn't a thing they believed back then. So what happened between the ancient world and the Declaration of Independence? Jesus' teachings became popular and available to the world is what happened. Think about it. In the ancient world, it was normal for leaders to exalt and adorn themselves and make statues of themselves. That was normal. Nowadays, when leaders or dictators do that, like you see that happening in North Korea, and it looks prideful and kind of disgusting. But back then, that, was, that, that would look completely normal. But now it's, it's weird. So what happened? Jesus flipped the whole thing upside down and reversed what a leader and king should look like, right? In the ancient world, it was normal to wait until the eighth day to name infants because oftentimes they would let kids die if they were born the wrong gender or with a disability, which is horrible and disgusting. To them, it was normal, but now it's horrible. And so what changed? It all changed when a group of people remembered they were followers of a man whose group of best friends consisted of two women whose ministry was funded by mostly women, who said, let the little children come to me, and good and proper and true and right religion is to take care of the widows and the orphans. And so today, those with Down syndrome, the broken, the poor, in the ancient world, they were seen as liabilities to be discarded and forgotten about. Once again, horrible, back then, normal. Nowadays, we see them as souls who touch our lives and make us like better people just by smiling at us because of Jesus. Hospitals are here because Christians remembered they followed a man who said you are to heal the sick. Huge nonprofit organizations, Compassion International the Red Cross, the Salvation Army, are here because a Jewish carpenter born in Palestine 2,000 years ago taught that we are to love the least of these. That's why these things are here. While influence usually follows human beings from our lives into our deaths and slowly fades, the influence of Jesus followed him from his death into exponential life for absolutely everybody. And as time goes, his footprint and his wake are just growing and growing and growing supernaturally like a wildfire in a way that can't be stopped. And so to bring this historically full circle, Herod, King Herod the Great, was a mortal man who thought he was partially divine, who cared only for himself and not his subjects. Jesus is God who did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but humbled himself and became a man only to serve and even lay down his life for his subjects. Fast forward two millennia, and Jesus is absolutely 
everywhere that you look, like a tale of a comet swept across history, and we see shadows of the story of Jesus in literally every book and every movie and every testimony that's ever been read, seen, or told. And if you want to know about the, the influence of, of King Herod, you got to read a history book or Wikipedia, but I'm warning you, only if you're really bored, because it's not going to wow you. That was sassy. I'm feeling passionate. <laughs> and Ben, you can come up. I led a, a mission trip in college to Jamaica, and it was actually the trip that I met my wife on. Um, I saw her one day, the first day, actually, no makeup, no trendy outfits, just mission trip clothes, t-shirts, a purple headband, serving others and worshiping God, and I'm just saying that's like, that's Christian hot. <laughs> I saw it, and my mission, hey, I love the people of Jamaica, but my mission became her, right? That's why God had me there, and if I can just say this, mission accomplished, right? <laughs> my, friend, my friend Charity Watson came on that trip, and I was really proud of her for coming on that trip because she did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God. She respected it, and she just wanted to help people. She's a, just a very kind and good-hearted person, very smart, a learner and a thinker. And she would tell me, we'd have these conversations, she, she, she would say, hey, of course I believe Jesus was a good guy. One of the greatest, if not the great, like he was a good teacher, a good guy, absolutely. I respect everything about him, but why should I follow a Jewish carpenter born in Palestine 2,000 years ago, which is a great question. There were 96 of us on this mission trip, and every evening we would um, come back to a Jamaican chapel about the size of this room, and we were mixed in with a bunch of Jamaicans who know how to worship and get after it, and it was awesome. And every night... Um, the Holy Spirit showed up in tangible ways where you could feel it and sense something around you. It was God at work, and he changed, like, he, like there were salvations. He changed the eternal destinations of people in that room every night. People were healed. People forgave, right? People let go of the past. Shame evaporated. Like, people broke down. Like, it was real. It was real, and you could feel it. And so could Charity. And on the final night, she came up to me during one of the songs with tears in her eyes. And she said, I, I don't, okay. She's like, I, I, something is real here. Something is happening. And I don't understand how this many people from different worlds can all be feeling and experiencing the exact same thing at the exact same time. She said, this has to be real. Dead good guys don't show up in chapels 2,000 years after they die and change the lives of hundreds of people. Kings of kings do that. And that's it. I just pray that you'd let the magnitude of this movement build your faith today. The impact of his influence encourage you today. Like you need faith to believe that Jesus is king. You do not, however, need faith to see his legacy. You need five senses 
because it's, it's absolutely everywhere. You don't need faith to see it. The impact of his influence in communist China right now, where it's illegal to be a Christian and gather like we are doing at this moment, the church is a hundred million people strong and growing. In the Middle East, of all places, it's growing right now like a wildfire and can't be stopped or slowed down. In 1990 in Africa, there were on record 8.7 million Christians on the continent of Africa. 29 years later today, there's 390 million Christians in Africa and it's projected by 2025, six years from now, there's gonna be 600 plus million Christians on the continent of Africa. And by the way, that's in the face of persecution and sometimes that persecution includes even death. But it's like, hey, the stronger the resistance and the persecution gets, like the more the church just seems to spread and succeed, all the more. To quote John Orberg again, Christianity is like a nail. The harder you strike it, the deeper you drive it. It's like persecution like does nothing but serve the church and launch it forward, right? You think about how this thing has persevered and been carried through the generations on the blood of Christians. How do you explain that without using the word supernatural, the way its impact, his impact has grown in 2000 years. The apostle Peter was crucified upside down because he refused to renounce that he believed Jesus Christ was the king of the universe. Like I know he hung out with him for three years, but how positive do you have to be about something to be crucified upside down for it, right? Stephen was stoned for this. The apostle Paul never even met Jesus while Jesus walked on this planet and was beheaded for it. In Philippians, Paul writes about how I'm, I'm leaving what's behind. He's like, I forget about what's behind and I press on towards what's ahead. And we usually use that verse to, to talk about like, hey, forget the bad. Forget the bad past, forget the shame, leave it behind you because there's good ahead. And that's true. But Paul was talking about the good life because Paul had it made before he started following Jesus. Why do you leave the good life where you got it made and give that all up and step into opposition to follow this Jewish carpenter to the point where you get beheaded for it, right? I think about Kanye West right now. <laughs> Similar, I forget about the good life. Literally, he has a song called The Good Life on his 2007 album called Graduation. It's a really good song. I'm not saying listen to it, I'm just saying I listen to it and it's really good, okay? But how do you explain like leaving the good life? He, like, he has it made and he is stepping into opposition, not just from the secular world, but from a lot of Christians, unfortunately. Like, somebody told me this week, like, yeah, Christians have been praying for like, God to save celebrities for decades, and then he finally does, and we're like, well, not him. It can't be him, right? But why, like, you know, like, what it's costing him to put out an album where all he does is preach the gospel and proclaim that Jesus is king? Like, how do you explain that unless you know that you know that you know that this is real, and I'd rather gain him than the entire world because Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? Even James, Jesus' brother. Here's a good question for you. How do you convince your brother that you're God? <laughs> I'll rephrase it. 
It is impossible to convince your brother that you're God unless he watches you die and then hangs out with you three days later. Because James believed it so much that his brother was God that he refused to renounce it to the point where he was thrown off of the temple and was beaten to death because he believed my brother is the savior of the world and my brother is king. And so if you're here and you have doubts and you have questions, if you ask, who is this Jesus guy? I just pray today you can be comforted by the fact that billions of people on this planet right now are gathering in spaces just like this all over the world. And all of them followed the same prompting there that you followed here tonight. For whatever reason, something got you here tonight to worship a crucified fugitive who was born in an undignified cave 2,000 years ago. Like, people don't do that for historical figures. Demons don't shudder at the names of dictators and tyrants. Evil does not bow in front of the famous or the rich or the prodigies or the presidents. Good teachers good guys, homeboys, don't overthrow hell and defeat sin. Darkness and death don't bow in front of good people. Death bows in front of the king of kings alone. Jesus is king. And right now he's on his throne doing just fine. He's not going anywhere until one day he comes back, but not as a baby in a feeding trough this time, but on a white horse with a tattoo on his thigh that literally reads King of Kings and Lord of Lords with fire in his eyes. And the Bible says in that moment, on that day, every tongue will confess that he is God and every knee will bow, which makes you just ask the question, well, then if that's true, why don't we just do that now? <laughs> like church, why don't we do that tonight? Why don't we just confess, Jesus, you are the king of everything. You are the alpha, the omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the first and the last, and you are, you are everything in between. Jesus, you are king. You guys, Jesus is king. And, and, and so here, I'll finish right here. For eight weeks, we just finished an eight-week series called Religion Rehab, where we've been kind of doing a lot of introspective stuff, and we've been diving deep, and we've been looking at, at uh, old wounds, and we've been healing and, and forgiving and releasing, and it's been so good. Metaphorically, I kind of see it like you're, at, you're here at the surface of the water, and then you just kind of dive deep down into the depths where not a lot of people go so that you can heal and get on with your life healed and whole right? And we've been doing that for eight weeks. And that's why right now we were like, man, we got to do a three-week series where, because it's sometimes you, you go down and you, you forget that you're supposed to come back up to the surface to breathe and get your eyes not on your stuff, but the God who sits on a throne over your stuff and just look at, at Jesus right now. Because Jesus is king, which means this, and maybe this is the practical takeaway. Maybe I lied. Here's one. It's okay to be okay. It actually is because Jesus is king. Like you know who you are with the stuff that you're processing. You know your identity with having something wrong or needing to be fixed in your life, but do you know who you are just with Jesus as king? 
because sometimes you just need to come up and breathe in some heavenly O2 and just go, hey, it's okay to be okay, regardless of what kind of week you've had. I'm not taking away from that. I'm just saying eternally, Jesus is on his throne and he's not going anywhere. So you're like, you're really okay, guys. We are good. And sometimes it's just, it feels good just to, just to be okay and give yourself permission to do so and to sing about it and let Jesus be the king of everything because that's exactly who he is, the first and the last. He has no rival. He has no equal. Death bows in front of him. He has overcome everything. And one day he'll come back to show us that for good once and for all. And since we know that to be true about the future, right here and right now, we can look forward believing that he is able and we are good because he is king. Amen.